So sad news this morning. Andy Russell, member of the 74 and 75 Super Bowl winning Steelers, passed away. He was 82 years old. And Mulsey brought up a good point during the break. If you are a Steelers fan and you are under like 40, 40 years old, yeah, 40's good. how much do you know about Andy Russell's story? Is he is his journey to Super Bowl champion that well-known? Uh, if you are a diehard Steelers fan and you're a younger fan, you know all about Joe Green and Lynn Swan and Jack Lambert and, Guy, and Franco Ham, and guys Mel like Blunt, that. Yeah. And Russell is just a tier below them. He's a Steelers Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Honor guy. He's not in Canton. So I have here some Andy Russell clips that are going to help educate people. And for Steelers fans who obviously know Russell, bring back some memories about his illustrious career. So he started with the Steelers in the 60s. He was a holdover from the bad, bad, bad Steelers before Chuck Knoll came to town. And here he is rehashing the first conversation he ever had with Knoll after the Steelers hired Knoll away from the Baltimore Colts. Back in the 60s, the Steelers were pretty bad. We just could not consistently win games. We would lose games by the most bizarre circumstances. We'd, we'd find a way to lose every time. So it was a very frustrating experience and quite a remarkable change when Chuck Knoll came. He called me in in the offseason. I'd made my first Pro Bowl in 1968 prior to him coming. And I thought, well, he's calling me in to congratulate me. So I went in to see him, shook hands, but it wasn't overly friendly. And he, he looks at me and he says, you know, Russell, I've been watching the game film since I've taken over the job here. And he said, I don't like how you play. You're too aggressive. You're too out of control. You're trying to be the hero. You're trying to make big plays. I'm going to change the way you play. I'll make you a better player than you are now because you're not disciplined enough. How is this done? So I hear that and I think of two things today. The first thing is Noel sounds a lot like Belichick. A where, lot like Belichick. Where he's just, this is how I feel. I'm not going to sugarcoat things or pump you up. I don't care what the stats say or what accolades you have. I'm going to be honest with you. And if it's super critical, so be it. Belichick's literal do, do your job mantra. You know what that actually was, right? The whole philosophy was everybody like he he hated hero ball. The whole point on defense for them was always just stay in your like do your assignment, and the defense is a good enough defense that it will work. And the other thing there is, could you imagine today if a guy goes to a Pro Bowl or is an All Pro, and there's a new coach, and the coach calls him in and he says, "I don't like the way you play." The agent is contacting an Adam Schefter or a Jay Glazer or somebody like that, and the guy's probably wanting a trade out of town immediately. The agent might not even I'm stop. I'm done here. The, F this. Yeah, this guy sucks. The agent might not even stop with a trade request. They might even try to plant like a fake story to make the head coach look really bad. Yep. Noel, verbally abusive to players. So that's part one of this. The next is what happened when Russell showed up to his first Steelers training camp with Nola's head coach. We get to training camp, and the first speech to the team, he said, look, I've been watching the game films since I took the job, and I can tell you guys, the reason you've been losing is not because of your attitude or your psyche or any of that stuff. The problem is, is you're not good enough. You know, you can't run fast enough, you can't jump high enough, you're not quick enough. Your techniques are just abysmal. I'm going to 
probably have to get rid of most of you, and uh, we're going to move on. And, I, I mean, five of us made it from that room to the 74 Super Bowl. Again, insane, Brutal honesty. insane thing to hear nowadays. I just can't, you know where no you know what that actually makes me think though that's like how I could not not that he would ever take a job that would require him to do this if Urban Meyer or some no you know what it is it's Dion at Colorado I thought that's the same what it is. thing it's Dion that's what I couldn't play he got in the room and he's like yeah you guys aren't good enough I'm gonna bring in all my, my guys Louis who are Vuitton, transfer yep. in who are better than you yeah didn't really find an offensive line that was better than what they had but yeah that's what it reminded me of is the Dion is a less uh, glitzy version of the Dion Louis Vuitton speech. Again, though, that kind of bluntness is just crazy to think about happening today in the pros. Well, think about the, think about the situation, too, at the time that Russell's talking about. The Steelers have no history of winning. Here comes a coach who's younger with no head coaching experience. Now, he had been in Baltimore with Shula and Unitas and stuff, so he comes from a winning organization. But he hasn't accomplished anything as a head coach, and the team always loses. Mm-hmm. And he shows up in day one and says, you guys stink. What's the buy-in at that point? Almost you know, you still have to go out there and coach them. And he still had to go out and try to win with those guys because there was no free agency back then. And they couldn't turn the roster over in one year. So he had to, Noah had to make those guys compete and fight for those precious few roster spots that Russell was talking about that would exist or still be there for these guys once the team became a good team. Mm-hmm. I think we've done this with the Pirates a lot, at least since I've been here. When the Pirates are in rebuilding, you try to figure out or you'll say, you know what, when this team is good or t- in two or three years, I could see this player being a part of that good team. Yep, I could see O'Neal Cruz in two years being the starting shortstop on a team that wins 90 games. or You know, that's... That's what you, you do. You're, you're projecting on bad teams. Who, who, who's, who's just driftwood and who's actually a foundational piece. When you make a speech like that too to a team, I've got to believe part of it. Even it makes it easier probably if you genuinely believe what you're saying, which is just most of these guys aren't good enough. But there has to be a weeding out process there where you wonder who is going to take that to heart and like and play their best. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're, you're you're almost trying to find out. You probably think like, yeah, eighty five percent of the team isn't good enough, but I need to figure out who the fifteen percent are who are good enough, and I'm hoping it's the guys who are going to play the hardest for me. So the Steelers win Super Bowl nine. They end their years of futility, and so it's Russell who's the veteran on that team, and they're in the locker room at Tulane Stadium after the game, and it's Andy Russell's job, Mulsey, to decide who gets the game ball. It's his call. He's got the ball, and he has to decide in that moment who he's going to give it to. Would have been a natural to give it to Franco as MVP, or give it to uh, you know Joe Green or LC. But I, I thought we, you know we got to give it to to the Chief. You could almost see tears in his eyes. I think I had tears in my eyes, and I had such respect for that gentleman. To see him after all those years to rise to the top of the mountain was quite an experience. Pretty weighty decision there. You probably could have given it to Noel, too, for being the coach that was so instrumental in the whole thing. Yeah, but, but maybe he was holding against him. You know, you came in like such a such a jackass. But that produces one of the iconic photos or moments in Super Bowl history where you see the chief in the locker room there with the Lombardi and the football after they finally got to the top of the mountain after winning zero. Well, they won a playoff game in 72, the Immaculate Reception, but from 33 to 72, they never won a playoff game. 
Isn't that insane to think about? Like they were I'm worse not, than the Bengals of like the last. They were they were the embarrassment of the league. Well, I mean, if we were living here and doing sports talk in the 1950s, we would be talking about the Steelers the way that people have talked about the Pirates for the better part of 30 years. Tony, we wouldn't even talk about the Steelers. We would be talking about like a big boxing match or something. <laughs> like Billy Kahn back in town. Imagine you and I wearing fedoras. Dude, we'd be dressed up every day. We'd be wearing fedoras, shirts and ties. Yeah, see here. Apparently everyone in the 50s was Jimmy Cagney. Uh, so who were, he said five of us made it. So Mansfield would have been another one. Yep. Um, Greenwood and, and Green both came in in 69 in that, that draft. Um, I'm trying to think who the other guys were that would have been holdovers from that team. John Kolb came in again, 69. I'm just like, I'm scanning over here. Who would have been on that roster besides he and Mansfield that would have made it? Uh, maybe Sam Davis. Who yeah. was a guard who started on that team who was older. Yep. You're right about him. Uh, there had only been like two more then. I mean, do you count Walden the punter? 36. You, you think Andy Russell was counting him? He was there since 68, yeah. I'm saying, do you think Andy Russell's counting the punter specifically? Good question. That's what I mean. How about Blyer? That would have been it. I think that might be it then if he's counting the punter. That is before he went into military service. It is pretty crazy to consider that you even in the air, you said you couldn't turn over a roster like lickety split because of no free agency. How fast they actually did end up turning it over. Russell was a guest on one of our shows a few years ago and said this about what it was like playing football in the 70s. In those days, Ham and I were trying to lose weight because we we wanted to get down below 220. Because of why? Because we were covering wide receivers and rerouting them, which you're not allowed to do anymore. See, they don't let you play defense anymore. This game is, is you can't do a thing. You know, you can't touch anybody. It's really strange. I mean, I'm, I'm worried they're going to sissify the game. I've, I've had a new take on that, by the way, in recent years. I think there are too many rules that benefit the offense. Well, now, how about this hip tackle thing that they're coming out with, the drop tackle? I have no problem. The hip drop tackle. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm... Maybe this is me channeling Andy Russell. I don't. It just looks like a tackle to me. Does it look it's like just, that to you? It, it it just seems like not only is it another rule to benefit the offense, it just seems like it's a lot for referees to have to call and for defensive fast. players to figure out. Yep, on the fly. that too. It's, it's going to lead to more injuries as guys just decide. You know, what's can't hit it. high. Can't hit can't low. Hit low. Yeah, I I don't like it. The thing about I will say about some of like the rerouting and stuff. Here's why I, I think here's why that doesn't bother me. Mo, like, has anybody look average defensive player looks like athletically now? And just what freaks these guys are, especially the dudes coming off the edge trying to get to the quarterback. With apologies to the guys of the 70s, because you're only playing against your peers, so the best still look like the best back then. Mm-hmm. These guys are just athletic freak shows anymore. It's different than it was back then. I think the game is played at an overall much faster pace than it was back then in terms of just individual speed of plays because everybody else is faster, more athletic, and heavier. Mm-hmm. I think if you're letting ro- wide receivers get rerouted the way it, that's, that's the uh, colloquial term Andy Russell uses there, quarterbacks are just getting sacked left and right because the pocket's going to break down before a guy can get open. I think if I had grown up, if I was my dad's age, I I wonder if I would like resent or like – be like disgruntled with the way that football is played today. I probably would. 
My so my dad is older than your dad, I think barely. My dad was born in the 50s. And my dad as you know is not like a huge sports fan, but he'll watch the games, right? Like he'll watch them just so he has some like snarky funny takes for me usually that mm-hmm. his opinions. I don't ever we talk a lot now about sports more than we did when I was even growing up and I don't he doesn't really like complain and say oh it was way better back in the day. Like I think my dad appreciates like a crazy you know an offensive sl- like shootout type game. I don't think that bothers him. So he's not like they take hitting out of the game or they've taken the I violence he, or the physicality like, you know, out. I think intellectually he understands the damage the game can do to players like that and I think he understands how tough it is to like call a game, but I don't think he just sits there and says the game isn't physical. Mhm. There are hits that happen today, and maybe it's because, like, we have HD and the camera work is perfect and everything from the 70s always looks slower because half the time it's being presented in slow motion. There are hits from today that look like they would kill a guy. You know what's so weird about my dad? I never hear him complain about that stuff either because he's he's so into fantasy football. And he's, well, I think betting is betting. If you're into fantasy or you're into betting, I don't... you might get annoyed more. You know what you'd get annoyed more about is just the rules as they get applied during the game, not that they, like, make the game itself worse. So, did you know that... Andy Russell had something in common with James Harrison up until last year? I don't think I did, actually. So James Harrison has the record for what? Like an individual? Yeah. What do you think he has the record for in the playoffs? Longest defensive touchdown. Longest interception Interception return for a touchdown. Okay. Yeah, 100 yards. Russell had the record for the longest fumble return for a touchdown. Really? In NFL playoff history. He had a 93-yard fumble return for a touchdown against the Baltimore Colts that stood as a record um, until... Wasn't it the guy in the Bengals, How Hubbard took Sam it Sam Hubbard. Yeah, Hubbard had the when one When Huntley where... tried that uh, quarterback sneak from like outside the one-yard line and jumped over and he Punched snatched the ball yeah. away and took it all the way. So Russell had that record up until last year. And had this quip about his return for a touchdown. Running as fast as I can run, you know. And everybody had a lot of fun with that. Jack Ham thought they'd call it delay a game. And, and Mansfield claimed that NBC cut for a commercial. And guys are jogging by and about to picking up the fumble. My, my friends like to kid me about the picking up the fumble and, and racing 93 yards for the touchdown. And, you know, uh, Guys are jogging by me, and I'm running as fast as I can run, you know. And everybody had a lot of fun with that. Jack Ham thought they'd call it delay a game, and and Mansfield claimed that NBC cut for a commercial caught the end of the run, and you know. And, but you know, it is an NFL record. What is the, that? That the 93-yard fumble recover? Oh, it's the most elapsed time in any single play. That was until last year. Andy Russell, the longest play in NFL history. I have it on right now. Man, he is chugging in. <laughs> He really looks like he is working hard. Yep. Yeah, a guy that was a great dude and part of the Steelers' uh, Super Bowl championships in the 70s. We lost him today.